Awesome. Well, we are so glad that you are here. We want to welcome you to our 11 o'clock service. Uh, welcome you to Hope. And uh, we have been praying for you. And uh, if you're new today or if you're, uh, if you've just been around here for a few weeks, um, one of the things that um, a few years back when, when my wife and I were a, a part of a new church, I know there's always that feeling when you walk into a new place and you think, huh, is this the place for me? Is this, is this a good place to be? Am I, am I welcomed here? Does anybody notice me? And we, we just want to say yes this morning, that, that we want to welcome you to our living room uh, here this morning. And when you're here, it's like the Olive Garden. When you're here, you're family, right? That's pretty easy to remember, right? We don't have as good of Italian food, but we do have coffee and donut holes. So uh, when you're here, you're family. And we're just glad that you're here. And we pray that you feel loved and encouraged and welcomed uh, here today, uh, no matter if this is your first time or your a thousandth time. Um, it doesn't matter. So uh, if you're just getting caught up, we're in the middle of a series of messages um, at Hope called Confirmation for Grownups. Confirmation for Grownups. And I know the word confirmation probably means a lot of different things to some of you. Some of you grew up in a more of a traditional church setting where you had this class for a couple years as a teenager or an adolescent and you were going through confirmation and it was just kind of this weird, creepy thing with a pastor in the basement and you'd study these things that you really didn't care about because there was a million other places you'd rather be. I don't know if that was your experience, the confirmation. That was kind of mine for a while, and my dad was the pastor. So you can imagine uh, there were some interesting dinner table uh, conversations. But this idea of confirmation is that we're exploring some of these fundamental truths of the Christian faith. We've talked about the last few weeks, the Ten Commandments. We've talked about the Apostles' Creed. Uh, and today, we're talking about the Lord's Prayer. And so these are normally taught in this confirmation class. And, and one of the things uh, that we know is that uh, back in the 16th century, there was a uh, a Catholic priest, and his name was Martin Luther. And that's where we get our name, Lutheran Church of Hope. He's the founder of the Lutheran movement. And Luther was trying to find a way to make some of these basics of the faith, these foundational truths of the faith, relevant. First of all, he wanted a way that, that parents could teach them to their kids. If you're, if you're a parent or if you're thinking about being a parent someday, Luther's heart and what he believed God's heart was that the parents are the priests of the home, is that you should be the, the, the key people involved in the faith development of your children. And not only that, how do we teach it to people that are not literate in the Bible? How do we teach these truths? And so he wrote this thing called Luther's Small Catechism. And it's just a little guy here. He can just fit right in your pocket or your, your handbag or your, your man purse. I've seen some of those around. I guess it could fit in there. I don't, that's what I heard. Um, but anyway, Luther would be rolling over in his grave right now if you heard that. Luther's Small Catechism. And in Luther's Small Catechism is the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed. And it talks about the sacraments of, of baptism and communion, which we're going to talk about next week, and some of these foundations of the faith. And so Luther decided to put them all in here. And, and um, one of the reasons that, another reason that he he did that is because we need, sometimes we think history is old and, and ancient and irrelevant. And I, I believe that what we're trying, our hope is in this series is that we're going back and we're saying, these are treasures. These are priceless treasures of the kingdom. And not only do we want to just say these things, no, oh yeah, you say, I've heard the Apostles' Creed before. I've said the Lord's Prayer a hundred times in church if you've grown up in a church setting. Um, I've done all those things before. Our heart is the not that we would just learn them and just kind of, that they would just sort of roll off our tongue and we would just say them as some mantra, but that we'd really understand what we're saying. It's, it's the same as worship. As we're singing this morning, do you, do you know what it means to sing Hosanna? Do you know what it means to saying, into marvelous light I'm running? Do you, know, do you know what you're saying? Or are we just reciting words that are on screen? 
Now it wants to know, is it real for you? Are you confirming your faith? Is it real for you today? And so today we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. And we know that the Lord's Prayer is, is one of these things in the catechism. It's not something that, that a bunch of people just got together and made up. It comes from the very lips of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, there's ones at the end of the row. And just kind of look down the end of the row of the person and just kind of elbow somebody or give them a wink or something. Or don't give them too many winks though. That could get interesting. Uh, if you need a Bible, and that is yours to take. Um, so go ahead and take that home with you. Uh, multitask today. We're going to see if you can multitask. Keep your finger in Luke chapter 11 and flip back to Matthew chapter 6. So the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Keep your finger in Luke 11 because we're going to come back to that in a second. And uh, a lot of times what happens with the four Gospels is that you have four different accounts of the same event. They're not contradicting each other. It's just as if an accident happened on the road and there was four people there and they saw it, they're all going to give a little bit different account of what happened. And that's what we have with the Lord's Prayer, is that Luke, Luke's version is going to be a little bit different than Matthew's version. So if, you're, if you've got Matthew 6, um, we're going to be talking about prayer day. And we're going to look at Matthew's version here for a while. And the spirit of today, because we're talking about prayer, let's just pause in the middle of our busy morning and our busy weeks, and let's talk to our Father. So would you pray with me? God, we open up our hearts to you today. We thank you that you've given us this prayer, not just as words on a page, but realities that, that we can step into today. We thank you that you are our Father in heaven, that you love us, that you're here for us, that you hear all of our prayers, and that you are close to each one of us. God, just as the disciples came to you and said, Lord, teach us how to pray, I pray that this morning that you would give us a teachable heart, that we would not leave here this morning the same. So that is our prayer, Lord. We ask that you teach us how to pray. And it's in your name that we do pray. Amen. So when we talk about prayer, uh, in its simplest form, prayer is simply a conversation, just like we had with God, our Father. A lot of times we forget that it's a two-way two street. I don't know if you've ever been in a church and maybe you feel kind of awkward when I'm praying up here, but a lot of times in my prayers, I like to pause. And see, in church, it makes people really feel uncomfortable when there's more than five seconds of silence. It just makes people freak out. And maybe you've been in a church where you're praying and the pastor is, is praying and they're sounding very pastoral and saying something very spiritual sounding and then they just stop. And I don't know if you've ever felt uncomfortable and you kind of look up because you're like, did the guy fall over? Did he fall asleep? Or what's going on, you know? Chances are, I hope, if he's not boring you to death, is that he remembers that prayer is a two-way street, is that it's not us just yakking at God, it's us saying, God, more important than anything that we could say to you is we want everything that you have for us. God, just a word. That's why we're here. That's why we pray. That's why we worship. God, we are here for you. We're here for you. Unfortunately, Something as simple as prayer, which is just this conversational relationship with God, unfortunately, a lot of times it comes with a lot of baggage. Now, you don't have to say this out loud or, or what, whatever you're thinking, but just think to yourself, when I say prayer, what do you think of? Is it a positive feeling? Is it a negative feeling? If you're anything like me, sometimes still, when I hear the word prayer, I think, hmm, that's complicated, right? Or, hmm, Am I doing it right, right? Am I saying the right things? Is there a right and wrong way 
to pray. Oh, oh, oh I know, prayer, uh, you might be thinking, that's, that's for those super spiritual people, right? The pastor types and the, the worship leaders, because they have a direct connection to God, right? But, but for me, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Maybe you're saying, I just don't know what to say. Well, the good thing is today, if you feel any of those things, or if you've ever struggled with prayer, you're not alone. And one of the people that's in your boat with you this morning is our friend Greg. I was looking for a, a highly theological example, um, something from scripture, but I couldn't, before I found that, I found Greg, um, when Greg meets the parents. Now, some of you have seen this film, um, and Greg is meeting his in-laws for the very first time, and as you watch this scene, I want you to just reflect on and, and just let that soak deep into your heart how not to pray and how something as simple as talking to our Father in heaven can become some strange rehearsed speech. So let's take a look at Greg and how not to pray. Oh, thank you, Greg. That was lovely. How beautiful was that? Was anyone else tearing up? That just really, really got to me. But bonus points for Greg for using the word smorgasbord in a prayer. Not every, when's the last time you did that? I haven't done that in a while. But unfortunately for Greg, even though it was interesting, um, for Greg and I think for a lot of us, we've made this beautifully simple thing called prayer and made it into some very nerve-wracking, rehearsed speech that we feel uh, we're nervous and we have to give in front of our in-laws or something. And although I'm sure God really appreciated being called accommodating. And God looks at Greg and says, good one, Greg. Thank you for that. I'm very accommodating. Um, but as it turns out in Matthew chapter 6, Greg's not the only one confused. We're not the only ones confused. Jesus' own disciples are confused to the point where they come to Jesus and say, you know, we see you doing this. Every morning you go off and pray to your father. Do you want to let us in on that? Jesus, help us understand how to pray. And what I love about Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer is that not only does he give us a, a form, not only does he give us a model for how to pray, he knows more importantly, we need to know God's heart. And through the Lord's Prayer, we get a glimpse into the heart of God and his love for us. The more we understand about who God is and how much he loves us, the more naturally prayer will flow out of our mouths. And this sort of low-lying fog that is the confusion around prayer begins to lift, and it just becomes this natural, beautiful conversation that it was meant to be. So we start, if, if you've got your, your Bibles open there, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. As any good teacher, Jesus actually begins teaching us to pray by teaching us not how to pray, right? A lot of teachers do that. Here's what not to do, right? Here's how not to shove people when you're going to the bathroom, right? Jesus does the same thing. He realized he's got some, some nimwits and some, some goofy-looking guys following him, and they don't always get it. And so he says, so here's how you don't do it. Chapter 6, verse 5, and I believe we've got this on the screen. So let's read how Jesus says not how to pray. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Jesus is saying here, religious people love to pray to an audience. They love to pray to an audience. And this would be a radical thing to say in Jesus' day, but he said it anyway, and he offended about 90% of the population. Jesus says, believe it or not, when you pray, don't look at the religious people. No, just soak that in for a second. Hear that again. If you're going to learn how to pray, don't watch religious people. 
Because what would happen, what Jesus is getting at here, is there were these religious leaders in his day that they loved to pray in such a way that made them sound so extra spiritual. And they would, they would go out in front of the synagogues and stand on the street corners where all the people were milling around in the marketplace. And they would say, kind of just like Greg did, Oh, God, you're such an accommodating God. I don't know if they ever said that. But they would say it in a way that puffed themselves up. They were more concerned with the audience of everybody else instead of the audience of one. They were more concerned with how they were sounding than what was genuinely coming from their hearts. And most people would see somebody, a religious person that looks like that, a professional Christian, in other words, and they have their robe and their hat and they're looking all extra faithful and extra spiritual, and a normal person would walk up to them and say, wow, how devout they are. Oh, how spiritual they are. They, they must be special. They must be a super Christian. And Jesus comes along with disciples, and he looks at these religious people that are praying like this, and he says, how silly. <laughs> how silly. And actually, how sad. How sad that that's their understanding of who God is, that somehow they need to impress him, that somehow he doesn't already know what's already on their hearts. Jesus looks at every single one of us today and says, don't be intimidated by people that think they're professional prayers. <laughs> There's no such thing as a professional prayer. There's no such thing as a professional Christian. Every single one of us has the same access to the same God. In fact, what Jesus is going to say in a little bit is, says, don't look at the religious people. If you want to know how to pray, don't look at the religious people in Scripture. Instead, a better model would actually be this little boy who just ran up on his daddy's lap. Look at how a small child, a little boy or a little girl, interacts with their father. That's the model of prayer. Huh. Now that's a bit different, isn't it? Don't look at the religious people. Look at the kids. And that's what we're going to get to in a little bit. And it's in that spirit that Jesus then goes on to pray. So if you've got your finger, flip back to Luke 11, and we're going to dig in this together. It's an easy way to remember the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says that's how not to pray, and now he says this is how to pray. This is how to pray. So in Luke chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 1, there's a really easy way to remember there's five different parts to the Lord's Prayer. The first two are all about God. The last three are about us. And so it goes like this. The first uh, part of the Lord's Prayer is about adoration. The second part is about worship. The third part is about provision. Next is confession. And finally, protection. These five parts to the Lord's Prayer. And what we find as we go through this is that instead of being puffed up and complicated and weird and awkward and way too long, Christian prayer is authentic, it's real, it's simple, it's conversational, it's not forced, and it's personal because he lives in you today. So first of all, adoration. You'll notice that right away, right away, it's about God. How often do we come into prayer and say, I need, I need, I need, I need, gimme, 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 right? That's not how Jesus teaches us to pray. Instead, he said, start with adoration. Just a fancy way of saying, wow, God, you are awesome. You are amazing. And the first way that we do that is through the first two words. If we could get these first two words of the Lord's prayer down, if we could embed them in our hearts and in our minds, the rest of the prayer takes care of itself. First two words, 
our Father. Our Father, the very foundation of the prayer. If we don't know what God's heart is like, prayer is going to be very confusing. But if we know that God is a good Father, it changes everything. In fact, you'll notice Jesus' model of prayer doesn't begin with you. It starts with him. Jesus is teaching us that when we come into prayer, there's a certain posture of our hearts. Our posture isn't gimme, gimme, gimme. It's God, I want whatever you have for me. And just like a good parent, God says, start off the prayer by saying, our father. God is not a vending machine. I know that's really hard for some of us and we all struggle like that. Prayer is not something where we send in a prayer and we put it in the slot and out shoots the answer or give me this and out shoots the provision. That's not how God works. As any good father, it wouldn't be much of a relationship if your teenage son just came up to you and said, hey, can I have uh, 20, bucks, uh, 20 bucks for the movie? I got a date tonight. Thanks, bye. Uh, that dad, that's all you're good for, right? That wouldn't be a very good relationship with your father. Your dad wants to talk to you as any good father. And that's what Jesus is saying about God. Now, for Jesus to address God as father in this way was revolutionary at this time. For most Jews, when they would pray to God, they would call him uh, a Lord or they would call him the king or, or sometimes they would call him father, but it was more of like a father Abraham sort of thing. Like father Abraham had many sons, right? And we are all God's children. He is our father and he is up there in heaven. When Jesus prays to God, when he's here on this earth, instead the word for father he uses is Abba, which literally means daddy. Our daddy who art in heaven changes the entire way that you think about the Lord's prayer. It's not our father who art in heaven. It's dad. Dad. And I just want to take a second here. A lot of you hear the word, and sometimes as men, we hear this word, daddy, right? It's easier for girls to call their dads daddy. I don't, I don't know if I ever called my dad daddy. I called him dad. Because for guys, it's like, oh, it's kind of a wimpy thing. And, and, and it's going to get all mushy because we're going to talk about daddy. Jesus was the manliest man to ever walk this earth. The strongest man to ever walk this earth. And if he calls God daddy, that's good enough for me. Real men understand their identity in relationship to their father. Jesus' entire ministry was fueled by those two words, our father or my daddy. If we can get that down, it changes the whole rest of the prayer. I remember growing up, one of my favorite things that my brother and I would do is we had this long hallway that ran from the kitchen all the way over here into kind of the den or the television room. And that part was wood paneling. And up until then, the entire hallway was filled with carpet. And so my dad would sit over there in his uh, lazy boy chair and, and watch TV. And his chair would be faced this way so he could see us. And one of the things that my brother and I would love to do is sometimes just one of us and sometimes both of us at the same time is that we would just run as fast as we could. And then just like a, uh, like a long jump in the Olympics, and we probably jumped like... 50 feet. I mean, it was awesome. 
well, maybe it wasn't 50 feet. I was exaggerating a little bit. But we would lift off from where the carpet ended and we would see if we could run and jump and just land in that chair with our dad and just land right on his lap. And so we'd come running as fast as we could and go, whoa, we'd go, dad, 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 catch us. And then we'd land in his lap and we'd hug and we'd snuggle. And as a good dad uh, and as a, a pastor, my dad tried to sound like he had it all together. And so he was like, oh, boys, this is... It kind of sounded like Santa Claus. Why, why am I doing that? Um, in the Christmas mood, he'd go, oh, boys, this is so great and everything. And inside, he's saying, Lord, have mercy. Get off of me, right? So that only lasted till we were about 10 or so for uh, fear of injuries. But at some point, whether you ran and jumped in your dad's lap or whatever activity that you did, at some point, those activities with our daddies end. But the problem is that at some point, spiritually, those routines with our dad ends as well. When did prayer become so complicated for you that you forgot whose lap you're running to? When did prayer become so complicated for you that you forgot whose lap you're running to? And I don't, I don't know what your relationship was with your father. I don't know if he was around, if, if it was a healthy relationship, if it was abusive. I, I don't know what that was like for you. And although that nothing can change the past, Jesus is saying today, because of the Lord's prayer, God wants to restore your image of what a father is. Even if you had a good father, God says, I'm the greatest father. I'm the father that you never had if you never had one. He says, I'm making all things new. And so when you pray, you can know that you are praying to a good dad. But do dads ever stop being dads? No. It doesn't matter if your son's eight and you're talking about the monster in the closet. It doesn't matter if your son's 18 and you're talking about what college to go to. It doesn't matter if your child's 28 uh, and uh, has problems with being a parent or it doesn't matter if they're 48 and they're having issues at work. Dads in the room, you never stop being dads. And those of you that have dads, you know they've never stopped being dads because when you know that you're loved, when you have that open relationship, the words come freely and naturally. Jesus knew that if we could see God as our father, as our daddy, as our Abba, that we would know that we could pray to him anytime about anything, anywhere. Okay, moving on to the next part. Our father who art in heaven. Who art in heaven. At the same time that God is father and he's closer than we'll ever know, he's also in heaven. Meaning he's intimate, but he's also infinite. Bigger than you could ever imagine. He's powerful and awesome. He created the universe. So you, before you go off with your motor mouth and you tell him everything that you think is going on in your life and everything that you think you need, remember that you are just a speck of dust in the universe in the galaxy. Remember to take time, Jesus says, and stand in awe of God. When's the last time you stood in awe of God? When's the last time you, your, your prayer was simply this? Not God, I don't need anything from you, but my only prayer today is this. I love you. I thank you for saving me. And God, you are amazing. I think he really liked that prayer because he's a good father and he hears us. That might be one of the best prayers ever. I mean, just look at the sun, look at the stars, look at the, the mountains, the, the cornfields. Have you seen the leaves changing out there? 
Now that's not Iowa. It's actually just down here on Polk. No, I'm joking. Have you seen the leaves though? Have you seen how beautiful it is? When's the last time you just went, wow? That might be the greatest prayer you ever pray. Wow! Because it's coming from a heart that is genuine and true. And that moves us into the next part of the prayer, which is worship. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, hallowed's kind of a, a weird word, of course. It's one of those old English words. And if we don't say it exactly right, it can get kind of misunderstood. So, um, I don't know if you heard the story about little Johnny when he was learning the Lord's Prayer. Every Sunday school story that I tell, little Johnny's in it. He's the main character. I, don't, I have no idea why. But uh, the Sunday school teacher was teaching all the kids about the Lord's Prayer. And little Johnny was there, and he was doing great. And he was learning... And he, he really understood it and went to the end of class and he went up to the teacher and he said, uh, you know, teacher, I, I, I love God and I love the Lord's Prayer and I, 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 lo- I understand it, um, but, but teacher, I just have one question. She said, okay, little Johnny, what's that? And he just looked really confused and he said, of all the names that God could have given himself, why did he choose Howard? Well, what do you mean, she replied. Well, little Johnny says, it's, it's what he wants us to call him. You know, our father who art in heaven, Howard be thy name. I don't, I don't get it. Some of you will get that on the way home. Never mind. Charity clap. Um, so, Hollywood, not Howard. So, Hollywood, ha- I just about said it. Hollywood is just a fancy word for Holy. God, you are holy. God, you are set apart. You are completely other. At the same time that God is a father that is completely approachable, that we can run into his lazy boy and crawl up on his lap, that same God is also the God of the universe. He is holy. He is completely other. He is not like us. Our words are not his words. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. He is completely Holy. You see, there's this danger in our culture today that we get so comfortable with who God is. And we make him out to just kind of be our buddy. Like he's our pal. Like we can kind of latch him on to the side of us and say, come here, buddy. Jesus and I are going to go to the park and we're going to swing on the swings together. And you can be my buddy or even, I don't know, the next slide, your homeboy. Have you seen this? Have you seen these t-shirts? Jesus is my homeboy. You know, he's kind of like, hey, we can be buddies, right? I'll just be whoever you want me to be. Well, the problem is that if Jesus is your homeboy, he's also the king of kings and the Lord of lords to which every knee will bow in heaven and earth. Everybody bows to him. What does that mean, holy? What does that look like? We know that throughout scripture, every single person that ever caught a glimpse of God, that encountered God, that they were so blown away that they either ended up on their knees or face down on the ground in fear. It says they feared God, not because they feared that he was going to harm them like some tyrant or dictator. They feared God because he was so great that they couldn't even get their minds around him, that his glory was so much to deal with that even the sight of him would turn their entire world upside down. Holy, holy, holy. Do you ever wonder why we sing that? Holy, holy, holy. Or we sing, you know, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We sing those songs. What does that mean? It might be helpful for us to ask our friend Isaiah. So if you can, really quick, flip back to the Old Testament and we're going to talk to, well, Isaiah is going to talk to us. So Isaiah is the prophet and we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 6. 
So keep your mark there in Luke. And uh, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is getting a glimpse of what the holiness of God is really all about. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. And he gets this vision. He gets this dream of encountering God. And it says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered with their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. We've sang that before, right? At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook of the temple, and it was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. Isaiah says, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Do you think that Isaiah would say that Jesus is his homeboy? Maybe not. He had a different view. Jesus says, when you pray, yes, he's a good father, but when you pray, don't forget that you are talking to a holy God that you will stand before one day. You can come to him anytime like a good father, but remember when you pray, you're not coming to pray to twist God's arm. You're not coming to pray to control God and to say, this is what you need to do. That's not the posture that we come with. When Isaiah saw God, nothing else mattered. When we come into God's presence, Jesus is saying in the Lord's prayer, worship him. Praise him because he is holy. And in that moment, it puts all of your troubles and all of your struggles into perspective. C.S. Lewis, the author, once wrote about God, safe. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's good. He's a good father. He's not safe. He's not a delicate little God. He's the God of the universe. And this is where it gets exciting. So flip back to Luke 11, back to the Lord's Prayer. If we see him as father and holy God, then we have this respect for him. You're going to respect people that you love. You're going to respect people that love you, that you have a relationship with. And out of our respect for God, Jesus says, pray that your heart would be aligned with him. Pray that his will and his kingdom would be the very things that are on your heart. So the prayer continues, the end of verse 2. Your kingdom come, and your reversion might add, your will be done as it is on earth as it is in heaven. You'll notice the focus is still about him, right? We're almost halfway through the prayer, and the focus is where? Him. It's not even about us yet. Prayer is not really about you. It's about him and what God's already done. And we're told to pray for his will, for his kingdom. When Jesus came into this earth in flesh, his very first words as he began his ministry were, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. For Jesus, the primary question was not, how do I get to heaven? He wasn't even answering that question. Yes, it's important. We want to have eternal life. For Jesus, the primary question when he lived here on this earth was, how do we get heaven here? How do we bring a little bit of heaven to the places that people live on this earth and the situations and the circumstances that people live in that are literally hell? 
He wasn't so concerned with you getting your get-out-of-jail-free card. Oh, I'm saved. I have faith. Good. I'm set. I don't have to do anything else. The purpose of Jesus' teaching was to set you free from your sins so that you could help advance his kingdom. That's what Jesus' ministry was all about. And you might think, well, that's such a huge concept. How do we, John, how do we advance the kingdom? Jesus says, pray that my kingdom would come here on this earth. Well, would you believe that you're already doing it? One of the reasons that I love this church is because you understand how to be the church, not just go to church. The church is you. The church is people in action, expanding the kingdom. Do you know that you bring a little bit of heaven to earth when you pass out hot chocolate to neighbors for Halloween? Do you know that you bring a little bit of heaven to earth when you got out of your seats a couple weeks ago on Serve Sunday and you went around and you blessed this neighborhood and, and, and you brought care packages to all the, the local business owners around here that for some of them brought them to tears? That's bringing heaven to earth. But you also bring heaven to earth when you pray with your wife. You also bring heaven to earth when you serve your husband, when you invest in the lives of your kids, when you invest in the lives of your small group, when you love your neighbors. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whenever you're helping to create kingdom realities in your home, in your city, in your world, you become the answer to your own prayer. We can pray all day long and sometimes I think Jesus says, well then go live it out. <laughs> Stop praying, pray for my kingdom to come, but then go be the kingdom that comes. Jesus says you get to participate in what I'm already doing, but don't forget the most powerful weapon that you have as a part of this church is prayer is prayer. The best evangelism, the best outreach, the best discipleship, the best community that we'll ever do is prayer, is when we pray for it, is when we are united in prayer, and then go be the answer. And this is where the Lord's Prayer takes a turn in the road as it becomes now about God asking us, what do you need? So we've had adoration, we've had worship, and now we have provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh, I don't like bread except at Panera. Well, that's too bad. That's not what Jesus means. You might notice by the time we get here to Jesus asking us to say, give us this day our daily bread. Ask for what you need. Ask for those things that are on your heart. Our, our hearts, they're already in this posture of thankfulness. It's not, God, I demand this from you. You'll notice Jesus was really focused about the order. He said, first pray that my will would be done in your life, then ask for your bread. But if you're anything like me, you like to switch those and we say, God, give me my bread and then hopefully that'll be your will too. <laughs> right? God, get me into college and because I know that that's what you, what you want. God, help me marry that person because I think that's what you want. So put your stamp on it, right? There's a reason that Jesus said, first my will for your life, then pray for your daily bread. Because by the time you get to your daily bread in the prayer, your heart is aligned with me. And then the things that you ask for that are on your heart are the things that are on God's heart for you. And that's when it gets really fun. But nevertheless, God is a good and loving father. He wants to care for us. And the same God that knows how many grains of sand are on the beach knows exactly what's going on in your life today. 
You might think, oh, he doesn't really understand. He doesn't really know. And that was Jesus' problem with the religious people as they would blabber on and on and on and on about all these things. It would be like a, a little boy coming up to his father and say, I need a peanut butter and jelly sandwich this lunchtime. I need a peanut butter and jelly sandwich this lunchtime. I need a peanut butter and jelly sandwich this lunchtime. And the father's just saying, yeah, I heard you the first time, right? I know what you need. You don't have to go on and on and on about it. The religious people had this view that somehow they needed to notify God of things as if he didn't already know, right? And it's not like God's up there in heaven saying, oh man, thank you so much for telling me. I had no idea that you were unemployed. Thank you for the notification. You know, I, I, I'm sorry. I, God says, I must have fallen asleep at the wheel. Uh, I had no idea that you were struggling with your health, right? I had no idea that you were homeless. I had no idea that you were struggling in your marriage. That's not the case. God knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what you're going through today. And he says, pray, pray, pray. Ask, seek, and knock. Don't give up. Because maybe just as important as whatever God provides for you at the end of your journey, just important if not more, is the process and the maturity and the journey that he wants to take you. Ask, seek, knock. Be persistent in prayer. And then God says, trust me. I'm not just going to provide it right away. But trust me that just as I've been faithful in the past, I will continue to be faithful to you. I'm not going to tell you what's a month down the road. I'm not going to tell you necessarily what's a year down the road. God says, can you trust me today? Can you trust me today? What's the posture of your heart today? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We, we come to the conclusion of the, the prayer with confession. And that's the next part of the prayer is confession. Why confession is because you were not meant to carry around the guilt and the shame and the sin and the baggage from your past. You were never meant to carry that. But so many of us walk into worship every single week and it's amazing that we can't lift our hands because they're so weighted down. If we could look inside some of your hearts, your posture is more like this than like this. You're weighted down by so many things. You remember what it was like as a, a little boy or a little girl and you, you broke your mom's favorite uh, vase or you hit a baseball through the window or something like that and your dad comes to you and he says, uh, little Johnny, okay, here's little Johnny again. Little Johnny, uh, this is your baseball. What happened? I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I don't know. And then your mom comes to you and says, you know, I had this beautiful vase that was sitting on the, the table there and now it's smashed into a thousand pieces I, and I actually have your DNA on it. I, I, I don't know anything about it. Must have been my brother. I don't know. I don't know anything about it, right? And that's fun for a while. But every single one of us has a baseball through the window moment. Every single one of us has a vase crashing moment. And we start to carry those things with us for months and years, and for some of you, decades. Confess your sins, Jesus says. Let it go. Give it to me, lay it down at the foot of the cross. We've all been in that place. And remember the peace that you felt when you finally fessed up, when you finally said, yeah, it was me, dad. I'm so sorry. I broke the window. I, I, I'll, I'll pay it back. I'll, I'll help you fix it. And he says, it doesn't matter. As any good father, God says, what baseball? 
I've already forgiven you. So come on up and hop in my lap and let's talk about it. That's the kind of father that you have. You don't need to be afraid of him. His lap is the very place that you should be when you feel overwhelmed. And when we've experienced that forgiveness, it makes it that much easier to go and forgive those people that have wronged us. There's no reason that we need to carry resentment and anger around when we've been shown that incredible grace. So confession and finally protection. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Satan is real. Sin is real. Evil is real. And we all feel that every single day. The world is full of temptation. The world is, is, is full of places in our lives that distract us from the path that God wants us to go on, from the boundaries that he sets up for us. When's the last time you prayed to God in advance for something? Right? A lot of times we just say, God, my will be done, not your will, my will be done, and I hope that you bless it. hope that's good with you. When's the last time you prayed in advance about something? God, I pray for your protection for my family. I pray for your protection for my kids as they go to school. God, I ask that you would lead me and guide me, that you would keep my eyes and my heart pure today. When's the last time you prayed in advance for something? God does not tempt us. God tests us. God is not the one leading us into temptation. Us, we, by our own evil desires, get tempted and fall into that. But God is not the one doing that. God says, pray that my will would be done in your life earlier in the prayer so when we get to the temptations in our lives, our hearts are so aligned with God's that we're headed that direction, not that direction. Repent means turn around and go the opposite direction. That's the Lord's Prayer. Adoration, worship, provision, confession, and protection. And in the end, God's heart for you is not to see prayer as something that's complicated or difficult, but rather simple and natural, like a child who knows they are deeply loved by their father. Now, you remember our friend Greg from the earlier clip? He was kind of struggling with prayer a little bit. Well, he was kind of manufacturing some fancy, fancy speech to God. Well, as it turns out, I want to end today with just the opposite, with another Hollywood prayer scene, but this time it's from Bruce. Uh, Bruce Almighty, as some of you remember this film, uh, he finds himself standing before God, and he too is learning how to pray. The whole movie, he's been praying, God, my agenda, not your agenda. God, my agenda, my will be done, and you bless it. God, I have this wonderful woman in my life named Grace, but I want her to be what I want her to be. God, I want her. I want to control my life. And, but he never prays about her. He never prays about the things that are really on his heart. But when he realizes that God is standing right next to him, when he realizes that prayer is not about twisting God's arm, but simply talking like you would to your best friend, that's when real prayer starts to happen. Let's take a look. Now that's a prayer. Nothing fancy. Just God saying to each of you today, what's on your heart? Would you believe that the God of the universe looks at you today and says, what do you really care about? Let's talk about that. Just you and me, and no matter how it comes out, no matter if you think you say it right or wrong, God says, just talk to me. Run up into my lap and talk to me. And whatever you end up saying, 
he'll say, it's good. Amen? Let's stand and let's pray to him together.